0: Well, a beautiful morning. Good morning to you this Thursday, May 4th. For those who didn't know, at the beginning of 2023, we started a series on the book of Colossians, and we haven't finished it yet. And Easter has come, the season of Lent has come, Resurrection Sunday, come and gone. And I told our church at Radiant Central Coast that By golly, we are going to finish the book of Colossians online. And so this is, uh, by God's grace, the attempt to be faithful to finish something we started. Book of Colossians, one of my favorite books in the whole Bible that describes the supremacy, the sufficiency, and the sovereignty of King Jesus who reigns and rules over the cosmos. He's the center of creation. He's the head of the church, this Jew and Gentile, slave and free, young and old, male and female body, this new humanity that's being transformed in the grace and through the love of Jesus Christ himself. Paul has been making the amazingly compelling argument throughout this little letter to the church in Colossae. That in Christ we've been redeemed, we've been rescued, we've been reconciled, we've been raised up, we've been rooted and established in, that ultimate reality flows from, and that the peace. Of Jesus is supposed to reign and rule in our midst. I counted, I think, seven or eight R's so that you can remember. That's the book of Colossians in eight R's. Redemption, rescue, rooted, raised. I've already said them all. The reality in Christ. He just, it's about Jesus, it's about Jesus, it's about Jesus, it's about who he is, what he's done, and who we are becoming in him. Colossians two seven says that he is ultimate reality, so chapter Three turned a page where Paul has methodically been saying, This is all true about you. you die, your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Now, how this practically works out in real time relationship, we spend the rest of our time doing as disciples of Jesus. So we put off old habits, old thought patterns, old sins, old snares, we put on love and humility and compassion and love binds all of these virtues together as we we seek together to become a community that lives out of our truest identity through Jesus Christ. So that is a one and a half minute sort of terrible summary of the entire book of Colossians to the point of where we are now. Paul has said in verse uh, 15 and 16, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let his word dwell richly among you as you teach and admonish and encourage one another through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Holy Spirit. And we're going to pick up in verse 17 and we're going to continue. Paul lands the plan in such a practical way and shows how the gospel has transformed the cosmos. He's brought cosmic peace, Colossians 1 through 15. He's, he's, purchased and redeemed and rescued a people for himself, from the nations. And now we're going to see how the gospel infuses and transforms all of our common relationships and power structures of our day and marriages and families in, in Paul's day, where about a third of the Roman world were, was, were slaves, the relationship between slaves and masters, and how the gospel and the grace of Jesus transforms and infuses all of those in new and surprising ways um, and redemptive ways. So let's get into the word together, starting with verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And here, watch, I I underline all the various dynamic relationships that are transformed by grace. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, And there is no favoritism masters provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you also have a master in heaven so meticulously and methodically paul goes through basically the roman the, the household code and he he speaks a word to each participant in a traditional house in the first century whatever you do whether in word or do you do it all through jesus through, to god the father through him Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, as we just barely scratch the surface here, wives were viewed as in, in the Roman, very traditional Roman household codes as little more than property. Husbands could be promiscuous. Husbands could be abusive and harsh and rude and critical. It was like wives were to serve and that's it. They had no real voice, no real autonomy or authority or power. In the traditional Roman household code, husbands dominated, coerced, and just basically did whatever the heck they wanted. You know, on the way home from work, visit the brothel in the marketplace in the Agora. This vision of wives, submit yourselves as, to, hu- to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. He's giving them a greater vision that as you submit yourself to your husband's wives, you're not just doing it to the man that you're married, although you are. You're doing it as unto the Lord. He's filling this relationship that traditionally, apart from the grace of God, could be very unhealthy, coercive, and dominating. And he's infusing it with the vision that how you treat and submit to your husband, you're actually treating and submitting to the Lord Jesus himself. And look, look at that again. Husbands, love your wives. This is unprecedented in the first century. Love your wives? I don't have to love my wife. She's pr- no, Paul's subverting that. And saying, do not be harsh with them. So again, he's 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 showing how the gospel infuses, subverts, and transforms power structures and dynamic relationships in the first century. Husbands, love your wives. He says elsewhere in Ephesians: love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. He gives a vision of cruciform, sacrificial, laid-down love. This is how you're going to lead your wife. Lay down your life for her. Don't treat her like property. You're not dominating, coercive. You're not bullying her to do what you want her to do. No, no, no. Treat her just like Jesus Christ treated the church. Now, see how that works? In that cruciform, sacrificial, cross-shaped love, how would the wife not want to submit and say, I want to follow a man like this? I want to follow a husband like this. But Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3, even if your husband's not a believer, if you submit to him through your your humility, the tenderness of a a spirit alive in the gospel, read 1 Peter 3, God can even use that to transform the heart of your husband and bring him to saving faith. That's what Peter gets at in 1 Peter 3. So, So wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord, husbands, love your wives. and Do not be harsh with them. He also says in 1 Peter, if you're harsh with your wife, God doesn't hear your prayers. The gospel transforms every relationship we will ever have. And it starts with those closest, enduring relationships within our household. And then look what he says, children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Again, just like Wives were treated as little more than property. Children, even less so. Out of mind, out of sight. Here's a vision of fathers not being harsh and embittering and putting heavy loads like the Pharisees did in Jesus' day over their converts. No, fathers, they'll become discouraged if you rule with an iron fist. Yes, in Ephesians 6, that you're supposed to teach and train and raise them up in the truths of the gospel, but there's a way to do this to not crush their spirit and heart children obey your parents this brings glory and honor to the lord and fathers do not embitter your children or they'll become discouraged and then he goes to another very common relationship within the first century household slaves and masters obey them you're not just serving them he says you're serving the lord it's the lord you're and then masters provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you also have a master in heaven now, slavery in the first century was very different than traditional in America, the chattel slavery that that we know, where your property it's for life. There's no hope. There's no future unless your you know your master had, you know, saw the light of the gospel and realizes, whoa, everyone's made in God's image. We shouldn't treat treat people who bear the image of God the way we're treating them. Many people sold themselves into slavery in the first century because it was a way they could provide for their families. It was a way they could get out of, uh, you know, hard times. A third of the Roman world, approximately, uh, were were in this system of slavery. So a, a sort of modern equivalent—it's not one to one—would be employers and employees. It's not fully, but it's it's as close as we get in the twenty first century today. And he gives a vision that that even though you're a slave in the first century serve your master, do everything you're doing with great purpose. Because he's, again, he's he's giving them a vision that if they're in Christ, they're actually, their whole life is in service to God himself, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Work at it with all your heart. Don't just do it when their eyes are on you, but serve wholeheartedly because the Lord sees your sacrificial service. And then he's saying, masters, provide what is right and fair. I mean, this is so subversive. Because he paints a picture for masters, or in our day, employers. You have a master in heaven. Imagine the body of Christ in the first century. There's Jews, there's Gentiles, there's slave, there's free, there's mothers, there's fathers. Christ is at the center. His grace is infusing and transforming all of these power structures and relationships. And everyone's having to reinterpret What does it mean to be human now that Christ has transformed and redeemed us and claimed us as his own? This is what Paul's getting at. He's subverting, he's infusing vision through the gospel, and then he's transforming these relationships with Christ at the center. He's not doing away with all of the relationships, but he's reinterpreting them through the new thing God is doing, by Jesus Christ. A great summary verse is this in Galatians 3. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there female, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What a vision. So he's just painted this glorious picture throughout the book of Colossians. And like he usually does, Paul, in all of the ending of his letters, he shows how the gospel infuses it uh what did i say subverts from the inside out and then transforms power structures dynamic relationships within the heart and then within the household and how christ is is transforming all of it from the inside out what a glorious vision and picture what would it look like for christ to infuse your life right now what would it look for like christ to to transform your your vision of work your vision of your marriage your roommates? What would it look like for you to receive the subversive work of King Jesus that you would allow him to reinterpret and reorient your relationships around his his cross-shaped love? That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. Imagine a husband laying down his life for his wife, the wife submitting to her husband because she says, wow, I want to follow a man who is sacrificial like that. Children obeying their parents, yes, through discipline, through training, through consistent teaching and modeling, but not in a way to embitter, but to enliven them, just to teach them and show them and model them who they are because of Jesus. Fathers in the home, present, not checked out on their devices, but coaching and encouraging on the ground, face-to-face, heart-to-heart. Fathers and mothers laboring together to see their homes alive in the gospel. And then employers and employees, healthy relationships, providing what is right and fair so that there's this ecosystem of grace and flourishing in abundance. This is what Paul's painting here in Colossians 3 and 4. All right, let's turn the page. It says this in Colossians 4, continuing as we land the plane. Devote yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone." So Paul zooms back out, and I love this. What is he speaking over this new humanity community? Fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, slaves, masters, children. You, new humanity in Christ, devote. Don't turn the dial. Give yourselves to prayer being watchful and thankful this is the posture of the church. Jesus said, my house, quoting Isaiah 56, 7, will be a house of prayer for all nations. Prayer is that, that, that posture and orientation of life where we seek to respond to God's, I love, this is how I describe it, God's relational reach and, and, and ask for power to partner with him in his kingdom purposes in the earth. So relationship, and partnership. The church is to be watchful and thankful. What is God up to? How can we join Jesus in the renewal of all things? Who's he working on in my family, in my workplace? How's he moving in our village, in our town, in our city? In this posture of prayer, we're watching and we're thanking. And then we pray for those whose unique call is to proclaim the gospel. Every believer is called to bear witness but not every believer will have the same authority and anointing to proclaim the mysteries of Christ, like the, uh, like the apostles asking. Pray that there'd be clarity in the proclamation. And then he speaks this amazing word over the body. Be wise, in verse, verse 5, in the way that you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. And then this idea of conversations full of grace, seasoned with salt, to answer it so you know how to answer everyone. So again, he's believing in the apologetic of a transformed life will evoke questions, comments, and curiosity in the lives of those who don't know Christ. In in, in this case, in the Church of Colossae, I want you to live. I heard one uh, preacher, missiologist say, live a questionable life. If we live out of the same narratives, the same scripts, the same thought patterns, the same worldview as those who don't claim to follow Christ, who don't believe that Christ is King, that He's the center of the cosmos, He is the one who is worthy of all of our affection, all of our appetites and allegiance, if we don't live any different, no one's going to ask us those questions. Why? Why are you the way you are? Why is your marriage that way? Why do you handle yourself this way at work? He's saying, out of prayer... And then looking for opportunities, being wise, making the most of your your opportunities. Conversations are full of grace, seasoned with salt, covenantal fidelity. This will provoke questions and then be careful to know how to answer. 1 Peter 3 again says, uh, be ready to answer anyone who asks you to give for the reason for the hope that you have but do it with gentleness and respect so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander so prayerfulness watchfulness wisdom and winsomeness this is this four or five fold reality that will evoke questions comments or curiosity in those around us like why are you the way you are this is the best context an open door f- through which to preach and to share the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. Let's land the plane here. These are not throwaway things. Paul's he's he's he's, he's this letter's powerful. Again in verse 7, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose so that you may know about our circumstances and that you may he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus. This is significant. Our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him if he comes to you. Welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God. They've proved a comfort to me. So here's what's awesome. So Onesimus, if you read the book of Philemon or Philemon, however you uh, pronounce it, he's a runaway slave. That little letter is writing to Philemon of a runaway slave who came to faith. Now Paul is sending, Now, now this runaway, this is how subversive the gospel is, from slave to faithful and dear brother. And if you read Philemon or Philemon, this is why a lot of times when you read commentaries, those two books are together because they 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 shed light on each other and how the gospel transforms humanity power structures relationships in the grace of Christ here's this runaway slave who deserved to be punished he ran away didn't do it the right way he's now a faithful and dear brother look at Paul's language he's one of you he's coming now he's a servant and go read Philemon of how Paul bends the heart of 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 This slave owner who's meant to receive Onesimus now, not as a a former slave, but as a faithful brother. Super powerful. Paul's just giving kudos to all of those that he's doing work in life and ministry with. And just practically speaking, we need each other. I love that Paul, that Jesus, when he announces the kingdom in Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very next thing he does is he forms a team. Verse 18, chapter four of Matthew. He goes by the sea of Galilee and starts calling and forming disciples. Who are you doing life with? Who's on your team? Who's on my team? This is so powerful to see by name those who are working with Christ, yes, with Christ, with Paul, to spread the good news of the gospel, including those who for all intents and purposes had no right physically or 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 humanly speaking, but that through the grace of Christ they find themselves on Team Jesus with the Apostle Paul in spreading the apostolic gospel all over the earth. It's just breathtaking. Now let's, let's land the plane here. Again in verse 12, Epiphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. I love this language. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he's working hard for you, And for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in their house, her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received from the Lord. I, Paul, Write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I love me some Epiphras. If you remember the very beginning of the teaching, you probably don't. You can go back to the podcast or recordings. Epiphras is the one who helped start this work of, of the church. He was deployed. He shared the good news, from probably from the region, of Colossae. He's sharing the good news, and a church is born and formed. Now the one who helped... Plant this church by sharing the good news of the grace is now the one contending for the church. I love the language, wrestling in prayer so that you stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. What a vision for prayer. Paul is the praying apostle. Christ is the praying Messiah. Epaphras is the praying former church planter, wrestling in prayer. Beloved, who are you praying for? Who are you wrestling for on behalf of? That they would stand in the full maturation, assurance, and, and, and the will of God. What a vision. What a little letter. How the gospel transforms, how Jesus transforms everything. I write this in my own greetings. Remember my chains. I love how he ends it. Grace be with you. May the power and the favor and the grace of our King Jesus be with you. What an amazing little letter. What sticks out? What provokes you from this tiny little teaching? How is the gospel transforming and infusing and subverting your relationships today? How do you need to respond to the grace of Christ for a kingdom upgrade of how you view your relationships? The various dynamics of power and authority in your life how does jesus want to reinterpret and reorient those around his presence by his power and for his purpose are you devoted to prayer would you say that your life is characterized by being watchful and by being thankful are you giving yourselves to, to, to living a life of wisdom are you speaking life-giving words that are full of grace, that are seasoned with salt, that bear witness to the one that you have given your heart to? Are you looking for opportunities to share and show the good news of the gospel? Are you participating in your local church? Here, if your church is radiant, are you are you li- are you are you pressing into our communal life like Paul had a team with names and faces and households? Or are you stuck in in patterns of self-absorption and relying on yourself for everything? This convicts me. Are you wrestling in prayer for those that you love, lead, and do life with, that they would stand mature and assured in the will of God? These are the challenges we find at the very end of the book of Colossians. I pray that you would be strengthened and encouraged and blessed As you, I would just encourage you after this teaching, read the whole little letter again and let the words leap off the page and the Spirit write it on your hearts as we give ourselves to those who live in confident hope in the supremacy, sufficiency, and sovereignty of King Jesus. I want to just end with this benediction in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. May you be blessed, may you be strengthened, and may you may the Holy Spirit fill you today to be those people who live as if Christ is the truest reality in your life and in mine. Bless you.